You're listening to Different Things Can Be Sad. Hello and welcome to Different Things Can Be Sad, where it's cool to care about the White House and the weekend. I'm Yasmin Lomax. And I'm Micah Hahn. And we are the friendly hosts of Different Things Can Be Sad. If one of your New Year's resolution was to get into podcasts or learn more about politics and pop culture, or maybe make friends with a real-life Canadian person or a real-life Irish person, you've come to the right place, and we're very glad you're here. So if this is your first time listening, here is a brief overview of what we are about. I'm Micah, and I am a poli-sci student in my last semester yeah. Um, I'm obsessed with all things politics and also many things pop culture. So this she's is just very good at baking. If anyone yes. is, is interested, she's really she's our mom friend. In in our podcast meetup, I will bring cookies. We should do one of those. I should never tell my actual mom about that because she'll be like, "Oh, don't meet up with strangers on the internet. They'll kill you." <laughs> you know, typical mom things. Um, But yeah, I am Yaz. The other half of Different Things Can Be Sad. I'm a recent writing, editing, and public relations graduate who grew up in Ireland. I lived in Australia for a long time, and I am now back in Ireland. I love pizza, though I seem to have developed a recent and terrible lactose intolerance. So hashtag pray for Yaz. Uh, I also love The Office and all things pop culture. So we met in Boston while studying abroad, um, very abroad for me, I know. And um, we bonded even though we liked pretty different things. Um, and one of the things we bonded over was our love for Lady Bird. And if you wanted to know how Lady Bird has anything to do with this podcast, you should listen to our first ever episode. Um, but basically, we decided to do this podcast because we thought that politics and pop culture shouldn't be mutually exclusive and that you should be able to love both and be interested in both without any shame. So I teach Yaz a little bit about politics every month, and she teaches me a little bit about pop culture, and hopefully you learn something as well. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I, I, think people, I think people learn from us. We're, we're pretty, mm, who knows? Uh, uh, not to toot our own horns. Uh, but no, if you, if you do like tuning in, um, make sure you tune in at the end of each month when new episodes drop. So without further ado, let's get into it. <laughs> What have you been up to this month? Uh, this was the month of Christmas. Uh, and so there was um, not as much relaxing as one would hope. Um, it's just, you know, everyone's around and you like need to see everyone. It was that mm-hmm. kind of Christmas. Um, but I went to Seattle for a romantic weekend getaway, which was Aww. a lot of fun. Got to go back to Trader Joe's, which like <gasps> makes my little heart happy. We love uh, Trader Joe's. Yeah, oh my gosh, another bonding thing. Do you remember when um we made the cinnamon buns on like one of yes. our very first weekends? Okay, one of our very first weekends in Boston, Mike and I got a massive craving for cinnamon buns, and we like literally left our apartment at like eight o'clock at night and like took a freaking tea into Boston to the nearest Trader Joe's, even though there was actually one like a fifteen minute walk down the street. But anyway. And we brought back the cinnamon buns and then we made them and we were cooking them. And then we heard someone walk down the hallway and they were like, can anyone smell cinnamon buns? <laughs> it was us. It was our cinnamon buns. Yeah. Now I want those again. So good. So good. Yeah. 
so that was good. And then I started my final semester, or as one might want to call it, my ultimate semester. Because it follows the penultimate one. This is the ultimate one. As the alpha semester. Yes. What have you been up to? What have I been up to? Um, Well, it's it's been kind of a time of reset for me. God, it sounds like I charge crystals under the full moon or something. (laughs) (laughs) The full moon. That's very cool. But, like, I lost all my crystals in house moving, so I can't do that. Uh, (laughs) No, I am starting a new job soon, which I'm very excited about. I've been catching up with lots of family. And I did go on a lovely, I guess you could call it a hike. I guess you could do that. Yesterday, um, it was 10 kilometers, and now my legs really hurt. So I'm currently, for a mental image that I'm sure you guys will really love, in a full set of Harry Potter pajamas and lying absolutely horizontal. So it's uh, very professional here at Camp Different Things Can Be Sad. Micah, what have you been reading this month on your, maybe on the journey to Seattle or as you've been in your ultimate semester? (laughs) Um... I hinted at this uh, during our January or our 2018 special episode um, that I've continued to that clickbait. Just say, just yeah, you should go listen to that. Um, That I am continuing the 2018 trend and reading more Anne Patchett forever and always until I run out of books. Um, (laughs) How many has she got? Like eight or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I read her first book, Patron State of Liars, which is about a woman who uh, winds up in a Catholic home for um, pregnant young girls in Kentucky. Uh, Yeah, it's really interesting. Oh, wait. Did you say Kentucky as in, like, exactly where we're having some Catholic drama right now? Yes. Oh, topical. Yeah. Um, And... A lot of the Catholic stuff just, like, went completely over my head. No interaction with Catholicism in my life, unlike our Irish friend here. Yeah, if we get bored of this podcast, maybe we should start another one where, like, I spill all the secrets on, like, Catholic schools, and then you spill all the secrets on, like, having to speak entirely in French in school in your formative years. So yeah, that could be juicy. Okay. Still a really good book and would definitely recommend. Uh, it's a really good period piece. It's set in like the 60s. Um, so good read. And then the other thing I read, well, actually listened to um, was YA, which is always fun. Um, and it's called Truly Devious by Maureen Johnson. She's kind of like one of the big YA people. I've never heard of her Have or this before, of- which is ridiculous. She's like really good friends with John Green. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, he's not on the internet really this year, right? This he is isn't. Really- he's taking an internet break, which is interesting. Um, I give him a week. No, I, I-, <laughs> I believe in him. Um, yeah. But Truly Dubious is a mystery novel set at an elite boarding school, and it's elite in that you need to like be accepted in, but then it's free. Um, but you wait—are like, they like magic or something, or is they just no, no, no. Just oh. like like the brainiacs and stuff like oh, okay. that, really yeah. talented. Um, and it has there's like a murder that happened at the boarding school like a hundred years ago, and the girl who's the main character um, goes to the school to try and like solve the murder. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's like mystery during like in the present as well, and it's just a fun, good YA 
read and I really want to read the next one because it ended on a cliffhanger like a lot of YA series do they're into that right but yeah yeah, I really want to read that I'm obsessed with boarding school and I genuinely thought that everyone else was and do you remember when we were in Boston I think we were all sitting in an apartment Mm -hmm. one night and I was like guys we finally got to boarding school like we've done it (laughs) we've fulfilled our childhood dreams and Mike and our other friends were all like it was never my dream to go to boarding school. What are you talking about? No. I was like, I don't want to go to boarding school. What's going on? I was like, wait, what? I genuinely thought it was like, you know how everyone wanted to be like a princess or an astronaut? I thought we all wanted to go to boarding school, but apparently not. So <laughs> whatever. Ugh. Anyway, um, I also read a book. Well, I mentioned it in our 2018 favorites video. So clearly I did not read it this month. However, I think it's worth talking about. Um, It's called Talent and it's by Juliette Lapidos. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And I think it's worth talking about because it is due for release very soon. On my copy, it says February 7th, but Amazon is saying January 22nd. So um, just keep an eye out. In different countries. It could be that. It could be that. Yeah. Um, So Talent is about a girl, a woman, not, that's really poor of me. A woman called Anna Brisker. She's a 29-year-old graduate student in English at Collegiate University who can't seem to finish her dissertation. Her project, An Intellectual History of Inspiration. And yet, for the first time, Anna has found herself utterly uninspired. Rather than work on her thesis, she spends her days eating Pop-Tarts and walking the gritty streets of New Harbor, Connecticut. So, yeah, if you guys are really into New England like we are, get mm-hmm. on this. As Anna's advisor is quick to remind her, time is running out. She needs to find the perfect case study to anchor her thesis, and she needs it now. Amid this mounting pressure, Anna strikes up a tenuous friendship with the niece of the famous author, Frederick Langley. But his fascination with Freddie blooms into obsession. Anna is drawn irrevocably into the criminal machinations of his soul living here. Is it machinations or machinations? No, machinations. Uh, I think the first one. Machinations. Um, so that's the blurb. And I'm recommending it because it is definitely a strange book. It is extremely internal and character focused and quite slow at times, but I found it really enjoyable. I liked it because it's self-aware and I loved that the structural elements and tone of the novel reflected the subject of academia. So for example, it uses the academic text conventions of excerpts and footnotes in a very satirical way. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It reminded me of the French Lieutenant's woman. Have you read that at all, Micah? Mm Mm-mm. No, okay. I read it in um in school and loved it. It's a 1969 postmodern historical fiction novel by John Fowles set in 19th century Dorset, which tackles and subverts the conventions of the Victorian novel. So this kind of does the same sort of thing. And you might appreciate talent if you're the type of person who emails their high school English teacher with book recommendations, which is definitely not something I did after <laughs> reading this book. I, I did. I'm sorry to say. Um, maybe in slightly cooler things, what have you watched this month, Micah? Um, so I actually watched quite a bit of movies in theater this month because the boyfriend was home and that's when I watch movies in theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two movies to recommend. Uh, the first is The Favorite, which is like this kind of insane period piece is like the best way to describe it. It's <laughs> Anne, who is slightly bonkers and it's about um two women who are fighting over her in a romantic sense in a romantic sense oh that is interesting 
Um, and it's a period piece, but it doesn't stick the, to the conventions of a period piece. So, like, there's usually a huge amount of, like, reservedness in period pieces. But this is, like, no, it'll just, like, hit you in the face with something, like, incredibly raunchy or incredibly, like, taboo. Um, and it's kind of disconcerting, but it's kind of amazing. And it's so beautiful. And there's this one shot of, from the movie that's just, like, stuck in my brain because it was so pretty. Yeah. Um, so I would definitely recommend that. Also, if you're a, one of those people who likes to watch movies before the Oscars, this is one of them to watch. That's um, super interesting, though, because as yeah. you said, like, period pieces are really reserved, and you kind of don't think that anyone ever did anything, like, raunchy or racy back then, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you never even think, like, when did people start giving each other, like, the rude finger, as people call it, or, like, yeah. swearing, because you don't see it in, mm-hmm. in but obviously that kind of stuff happens, so... Mm-hmm. So really, really good. Um, the other movie I saw that I want to recommend is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is just fabulous. Um, it's I'm not really into animated movies, but this one is just so well done and so much fun. If you like at all like Spider-Man, even though like the littlest bit, you're going to love this movie. It's so great. Um, the music is really good. Uh, and the animation style is just kind of out of this world. Uh, and it is definitely going to win the Oscar for Best Animated Movie. So also, if you're like one of those Oscars people, do that. Um, it's also awesome because it one of the things we talked about in our 2018 wrap-up episode was representation in movies. And Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse uh, stars Miles Morales, who is this black kid from Brooklyn, the Bronx. Can't remember at this current moment. New York beginning with be <laughs> yeah um and so it was cool to see the 2018 begin and end with like awesome badass superheroes of color so would recommend the other quick shout out i will give you is marvelous miss Maisel season two which just like freaking fabulous um I'm not, as... not on this yet and i feel like the last <sighs> person in the world and everyone keeps recommending it mm-hmm. to me um not as good as season one but that would be oh. really hard to top Okay. It's still really amazing. The thing that bugged me the most is the fact that she has two children and they're never there. Uh, like in the first season, they exist. Yeah. And there's like her like trying to figure out what to do with them, like who's going to take care of them. And in the second season, that just kind of like disappears. And I think like it's very important to represent women who are mothers as not just mothers, like because yeah. that's not what a woman just is, especially during the time period. But even if she has other things in her life she is still a mother and that mm. should like if it were the case that she's like a horrible mother and doesn't like care about her children then they should talk about that but they don't they just kind of ignore the fact that the kids exist and i'm not alone in this so uh we will link to a vox article in the description of them also being like where the hell are her children because it's, it's like odd. long since been a thing i remember in friends people had developed a fan theory that ross lost custody of ben in the later season like never there and even in season eight when emma is born ross and monica's dad is like oh my first grandchild and ross is like what about ben Ben. to be honest i don't blame jack for forgetting about ben because i forget the pen exists most of the time so yeah yeah, this has long since been a problem in Mm -hmm. what have you been watching 
Well, like everyone else, I was watching Tidying Up with Marie Kondo, and then I also read the book The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up because I was really on a Marie Kondo binge there. So mm-hmm. if you don't know, it's a six-part Netflix series that sees Marie Kondo help Californians tidy their houses. So she's very enthusiastic about tidying, and some of her practices, like introducing herself to a house by sitting on the floor and closing her eyes, might seem like a little bit much, but it's enjoyable and informative television. Um However, what's like really kind of annoyed me is that there's been people on social media, that, and this is almost like Eclipse, a TV show, of people taking enormous offense to her suggestion that people discard most of their books and just keep the ones that spark joy because people seem to have built like entire identities on being bookworms, which mm-hmm. is fine. But I mean, I think it's useful for us to remember that she's not coming into your house and stealing your books and throwing them in the garbage. And also you don't have to take every piece of advice. I mean, people weren't taking that much offense to her saying you have to fold up your clothes in little rectangles. I'm not sure why everyone was being so offended by a piece of advice you don't have to take. Isn't it like the people who are upset about it, clearly every single one of their books sparks joy? Yeah. Kitty books. It's fine. Like, she's fine with that as well. You don't have to do it all. She's not actually in your house. So, I mean, in saying that, I did read a very interesting story that unpacked the privilege of clutter mm-hmm. and how refugees, immigrants, and their children might have a different relationship with stuff. And yeah. I will link to that because um, it's from a little while ago, um, but I did think it was very interesting in light of this series coming out. And in something else that I watched on Netflix this month, La Casa de la Flores. And if you have been around me, you have definitely heard me talk about this. <laughs> because I don't know anyone else in real life who's watched this yet, and I need someone to talk about it. So please, somebody watch this show. Um, I got onto it because one of my New Year's resolutions is to learn Spanish. So along with using Duolingo, I've been watching La Casa de la Flores because it is a Spanish language show. Of course, I've been using subtitles. I'm not a genius <laughs> or anything. I haven't picked up Spanish in Harley in three weeks. But Essentially, it's a Mexican comedy drama about an affluent and seemingly perfect family and their flyer business. However, it soon emerges that each member has a dark side and a ton of secrets. So it is a dark comedy. It is extremely irreverent. And there's a lot of jokes that would never make cable television. Um, They are self-aware, though. I mean, the, the ignorance and the problematic nature of the joke isn't being promoted Um, Mm. but it does also deal with heavy issues in a very offhand way which could be extremely offensive to some people but if you are into that type of comedy it definitely contributes to the ridiculousness of each situation it's a show where you would definitely do the opposite of what literally every character would do so you know those bits in Gilmore Girls when Rory does things and you're like what are you doing what 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 are you doing that's everyone all the time Uh, but it's hilarious there's one season so far, uh, 13 episodes, each about half an hour long. Season two should be coming sometime this year, and I'm extremely excited about it. So definitely we'll be talking about this when that does come out. Micah, have you been listening to anything fabulous in January? I have. Um, the new oh. Maggie Rogers album came out, like, literally two days ago. We've become um, such Maggie Rogers fangirls, oh, and it's so Micah awesome. who turned me on to her in a previous episode, but... Uh, incredible she's coming here and i really want to go to her show but it's already sold out oh. so i need to like figure out if i can find some tickets that aren't like horrifically expensive 
Yeah, because I was looking at um, Death Cab for Cutie are playing in Dublin on Thursday, and I wanted to get tickets. People signed them for like two hundred euro a ticket, and they were like originally thirty five. And I'm like, no, not worth. I can't afford that. No. Um, but yeah, that album is really great. It has a lot of the singles off of her um, EP that she released like mm-hmm. a year ago. Um, it's so wonderful. We'll link an interview she did with the New York Times, which we thought was really great. I um, haven't read it yet, but I am very excited to. Yeah. So. Um, the other thing I listened to is I thought instead of recommending an entire podcast, I'd recommend just an episode of a podcast. And I'm sure like a lot of you listen to This American Life because it's like the podcast to end all yeah. podcasts um it's the first one but um they had a recent episode it's called before things went to hell kind of inspired by the moment we are in though some would argue things are going to hell um but it's all about those moments where like things could have gone a different way but they didn't um Ooh. yeah and so my favorite story was about um the debate in congress about immigration in the 90s and about this one particular woman who like would have changed the like entire trajectory of america um and immigration had she not um passed away really suddenly oh but the story is so amazing and really great and there's like a really funny story about this divorced couple as well um divorce is hilarious it's so funny um but would definitely recommend for some reason this american life like makes you cry every episode but also makes you feel really good so the best thing if you've never listened to any of it if you also want to listen to an episode we need to find that one that i always talk about where girl um had her period on this guy's sheets and then got arrested by the nypd because they thought she murdered someone that was literally the best thing that's ever to ha- happened to me and also if you're listening to this and i've told you that story and pretend that it was my friend i apologize because <laughs> <laughs> i've definitely done that um i've also been listening to some fantastic music this month uh lizzo released juice which is a fantastic single it is so much fun and it goes very well with the video of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez dancing on the roof of Boston <laughs> University, which I, and I think you probably, Micah, felt a personal connection to because we literally lived on that street. Like, she yep. is dancing on our street, on our street. So that was fantastic. Um, I also really liked Long Shot by Catfish and the Bottle Men. And it reminds me of a song I cannot put my finger on. I think it might be by Liam Gallagher, but if you know what the song is, please help me out. Um, I've also been listening to, and this time I am going to recommend an entire podcast on like Micah. It's called Broken Hearts and it's a podcast by Glamour. So Glamour, the magazine, though it is actually moved away from a regular print cycle and we'll be doing just a few special issues each year in print. This was viewed negatively by quite a lot of people because people took it as a sign of falling numbers and being unable to stay in print. But editor-in-chief Samantha Barry has made it a really positive change you know she's a background in social media and she's focused on making glamour a brand and a 361 at that so we're seeing things like a podcast emerge and be part of their core strategy so you know we have shortest attention spans when it comes online and it seems like people like getting in-depth content in podcast form which is great for journalists who get to deliver that content so this podcast is just absolutely heart-wrenching and fascinating it 
The blurb of it is Marcus, Hannah, Devante, Abigail, Jeremiah, and Sierra Hyde. Six beautiful black children ranging in age from 12 to 19 were all adopted by Sarah and Jennifer Hyde, both white. On Jen's Facebook page, it looked as if they were the perfect blended family, even earning the nickname Heart Tribe from Friends. Then, on March 26, 2018, the family's GMC Yukon was found belly up on the rocks below California's Highway 1. The news of the murder-suicide shocked their friends and made national headlines, leaving many wondering what possibly led to the fatal crash. Could these lives have been saved? So, it is... Oh, it explores the facade of social media, the foster and adoption system, ideas of like civic duty, racism, homophobia, child abuse. There's about six episodes so far, each about 35 to 40 minutes long and dropping weekly. And I just definitely recommend you get on this story. It sounds really interesting. It is. And it's one that's not glorifying a crime or using it as a form of entertainment. It's actually asking these questions and yeah at the core of it is could these lives have been saved if we individuals and the system had acted differently so incredibly fascinating Mm -hmm. that's pretty much it for our recommendations this month i guess we better get on with the main act For this month in politics, I thought we'd start off 2019 with a bang and talk about all the super exciting elections that are happening in 2019, or at least some of them. Um, We're going to give you, or I will give you a little background about why they're important. Um, And it's an interesting way to kind of peep into the political scene of different countries. So, Michael, like, why should we care about elections in other countries beyond just general interest is there like a trend that could affect us or major issues that we're seeing i guess like one if you're interested in politics it's like really cool to see what's happening in other countries but also as the world gets more and more globalized we see elections in one country really affecting elections in another right um and so there's been this general swing to the right in the last couple years that we've Mm -hmm. seen in countries like brazil um And then those swings to the right affect other countries around them. So, for example, Argentina is having an election um, this year. And what's happening in Brazil could have a really big effect on what's happening in Argentina. Also, things have been kind of up in the air about who's backing up who. And in a Trump world, (laughs) who are your friends? And so who wins an election will really actually determine those alliances going in a way that they had it in the past. Mm. Um, There are two like big major issues that um, affect most of all these elections. One is immigration. So this past year, there was the UN pact on immigration. That um, was really contentious issue. It kind of, a lot of it had to do with asylum seekers and whether you have to let them in or not. Um, So that is a big issue. The other one is climate change. Um, If you go back to our, December episode, we talked about um, the most recent climate talks and the Paris Climate Agreement and going in, whoever gets elected now will be going into 2020 um, in charge. And so that's a like really big deal. So I thought, I can't list all of them. I will link a CBC article in the description with some more, but I thought we'd start with Israel because Israel's cool um, and interesting. Super, super interesting. So yeah, Israel, there's a lot going on there. 
Yeah, so Israel's election will be on April 9th. It's been called early. Um, it usually is supposed to be in September, um, oh. but they're doing it early this year. Um, so they have, if this sounds weird to you, um, then you must not be from a parliamentary system. So in a parliamentary system, the government in power can just call when they want to have an election. Mm-hmm. And so Netanyahu, who is the prime minister, um, has said that this is when they're going to have the election. Um, the other thing that's really unique about Israel is that it is a proportional system and they only have one um, district. And so um, that means that when you vote, you vote for a party and um, the parties you have to get a certain amount of votes to be able to get in. So there's a huge okay. amount of parties in, a, in the Israeli system, which means that um, there's no one actually wins 50% of the seats. And so there's constant coalitions happening. So this is a bit like Australia then in a way, and that there's it, a lot of parties. So Australia is very strange in that it always seems to be a two party. Yeah. So in Australia, yeah. Australia has formed into, it, it is a two party system and that yeah. never will um, the leader or the government be not one of those two parties. Yeah. Um, whereas in Israel, that isn't necessarily the case. Okay. Yeah. So currently, as I mentioned, Netanyahu is in power. Um, he's from the Likud party. So mm-hmm. they're like center-right, right-wing. Um, Israeli politics is really interesting because religion comes into it in a way that it like really doesn't in um, many other countries. Um, they're kind of not ex- like very orthodox, but they're still religious. Um, he is the second longest sitting prime minister after Ben-Gurion. And if you're not in the know, Ben-Gurion is the first prime minister of Israel. Oh, wow. So, like, a while ago. Um, and what makes the Israeli election very interesting is that Netanyahu um, has been accused of a huge amount of corruption. Um, so, accepting bribes, things like that. Mm-hmm. But he hasn't actually been charged for it. Um, okay. And it takes, like, quite a bit of time for an attorney general to decide to charge someone, as we've seen in the States. Um, no charges have been laid. Um, and people are speculating that Netanyahu decided to hold this election early because um, then the election will be held before charges are laid and the attorney general won't want to charge him if the country voted for him. It would be a bad political move. Yeah. Um, and so who is the opposition in this election? No one really. Like, it's very, like, I was researching this, and it's kind of unclear, like, who would actually take it. So the person who is the current formal opposition, no one thinks he'll be able to take it. The only guy who's really um, looking like a contender is Benjamin Gantz. Um, He used to be the chief of staff of the Israeli Defense Force. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. And so he, like, was the chief of staff for Netanyahu. So they're not, like, very different, but they've parted ways um no one really knows what he stands for but he's like the only one who is a big enough face to actually potentially win okay um and so most people are thinking that netanyahu will actually win this election despite the fact that he's been charged with corruption or hasn't been charged with suspected of um And so, but what's really interesting about the Israeli political system, as I mentioned, is that 
there's so many parties and one party can't win 50% of the votes. So when an election happens, the day after you don't actually know who's in power. So a lot of what happens is like the coalition building post-election. Right. Voters actually have no say in. Um, And the reason, one of the reasons why they have so many parties is that a party only needs 3.25% of the vote to get in. So that's only, Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. 137,000 votes. Yeah. Um, So that's like, a very, very small amount of people need to vote for one yeah. party for them to get in, which is like, so it makes sense why no one gets 50%. Um, yeah, exactly. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that will be a really interesting election. Obviously, Israel is important because it, um, who Israel kind of is one of the biggest powers in the Middle East and the, mm-hmm. who's in charge there will decide the Palestinian peace process, but also yep. Iran. Saudi nuclear deal the nuclear deal I've been doing Um, research this month Micah so mm -hmm. uh, to amp up my political knowledge so if Mm -hmm. you just hear me mentioning things like the Iran nuclear deal don't be surprised (laughs) (laughs) um yeah prepping for a freaky Friday episode good so that's Israel okay who's next um, next is Australia because Woo-hoo! we mentioned before. Yeah. We talk about the countries where we can vote. Uh huh. Um, will you be able to vote in this election? I think so. I should to? look more into that. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. That's terrible for us to be on a political. <laughs> I don't know. It's really hard to figure out if you can vote outside of your country. It is, yeah, and um, like I've struggled with that with Ireland, and that I even have been in the country at times of elections, but I haven't lived there for six months mm-hmm. before it. And you know, now with when this election comes up, I will have been out of Australia for six months, so it is a little confusing. I'm definitely going to look more into that, mm-hmm. as everyone should. So um, Australia is also a parliamentary system, mm-hmm. um, and so their election will be on or before May 18th. They haven't. Um, declared when the election will be yet. Um, so if you have missed the drama that is Australian politics, you can go back to one of our later episodes mm-hmm. where we talked all about Australian politics. And the Julius um, Caesaring, as we and the Julius Caesaring. call it. Yeah. Um, and Australian politics, one thing that's fascinating about it is that they have elections like almost all the time, because it's every mm-hmm. three years, which is kind of insane. Um, and so here we are, yet another election. Um, the expectation is that the Liberal government, or the coalition, so it's two parties together, but the Liberals are the major party in the coalition, the Liberal government will lose. Um, mostly because, like, I think people are tired of all the stabbing in the back and not knowing who's Prime Minister. Exactly, um, and I yeah. think you were going to say that the major opposition is the Labour Party, led by Bill Shorten, and they're, they've, like, built their campaign. Not built, but one of their core aspects of the campaign is that they will not change leadership before the election that has been mm-hmm. their thing so and people seem to be gravitating towards yeah. that yeah um and in this election more than like any of the other ones we're talking about immigration and climate change are the two issues mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um mostly because one australia um is refusing currently to sign on to the immigration deal um and two has some of the worst CO2 um, emissions out of all the Western countries. And climate change has historically been a difficult 
aspect of Mm -hmm. Australian politics, not even historically, even the past 10 years, we've seen, I think, every or almost every Julius Caesaring incident has been over a climate change issue Mm -hmm. and a way to combat that. So Mm -hmm. Um, a bit like the yellow vests in France. A bit, slightly different. But, you know, President Macron just trying to raise taxes to help the environment, also being a president of the rich because he's a former investment banker. You can cut all this mic up, but I'm really proud of him for knowing these facts. Yasmin <laughs> knows her politics. That's um, me. I yeah. have watched some um, Tom, I was going to say Tom, Tom Green? Who the fuck is Tom Green? <laughs> Tom Hanks? Hank, what's? The Fault in Our Stars man called. John Green and Hank Green? John Green. <laughs> I forgot <laughs> See, I was there. I was like, Tom Green. Okay, anyways, um, the biggest, most recent news in the Australian political scene um, is that the coalition had one of their top female ministers step down. So Kelly O'Dwyer. Um, is that how you pronounce her last name? Yeah, I, how else would- how else would you pronounce it? I don't know. Odwer? Odwer. <laughs> Kelly Odwer. Um, she was the Minister for Women and Jobs and Industrial Relations. And she's stepping That's down. a lot of things. Yeah, I know. Um, she says she's stepping down to be with her children, which has just happened in Canada, too. It's fascinating. Um, really? Yeah. I'll, well, I'll get to that. And um, okay. The thing is, is like, why is this a bad thing? Like, people step down all the time. It's because the coalition is notorious for being mostly dudes, and of that, mostly white dudes. Mm -hmm. Um, They have a very, very low proportion of women in their party, and especially top-ranking women. And this is actually another key issue with Australian politics that we will see in the next election. So, who is next on our our list of elections, Micah? um, So. Not a country, but a very important Ooh. body. The EU parliamentary elections are happening this year. Oh. And so those are going to be happening May 23rd to 26th. And we're going to have to use the B word here. Um, these are like integral to Brexit. <laughs> I think Brexit might be happening on my birthday. Did I? I literally hate hearing about Brexit. And I'm probably going to look back on this comment and be like, you uninformed idiot. Um, but I think, is it meant it's to March be March 23rd, I think. Damn it! Oh, that's Damon Albarn's birthday, the love of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I really thought it was my birthday. That's upsetting. My well, maybe not. I don't know. The day Seemed that uh, smoking was banned in workplaces in Ireland. So, cool. just saying. Um, okay, go ahead. Um, <laughs> no, it's cool. So, the thing that is, there's two, like, major things. Um, one is that the election will be greatly influenced by Brexit. Yeah. Um, and the other is that the election greatly influences Brexit in that they can't push the Brexit deadline back, potentially, because oh. it would interfere with the election. The Apparently, the Brexit is actually March 29th. Oh, there so. you go. I was wrong. If anyone wants to wish me a happy 22nd birthday, also hold a goodbye party for Britain. March 29th. So yeah. it sounds like that's a very symbiotic relationship there, Michael. Yeah. How does this whole parliamentary election of the European Union, I almost called it United Kingdom there, <laughs> the European Union, 
work? Well, so I actually didn't know a huge amount about the EU before this, but it's actually quite fascinating. So they have so many members. They have currently 751, but post-Brexit, 705. So Um, that's like member humans, not member states, right? Right. So those are the amount of people that will be elected, which is a lot. Wow. That's a lot. I should give it a go. Yeah, no, no, no. It's not that difficult to get in. That would look good on the resume, right? Um, it would. Yeah, a member um, of the European Union Parliament. Yeah. Um, so it's like a parliament like any other in that people mm-hmm. aren't grouped by country, they're grouped by party. Or they're oh, party. interesting. Yeah. So, um, which it must make a, uh, like the whole election process really interesting because you're going across like 60 different languages or however many languages. Yeah, yeah. It must be fascinating. Um, and this is one of those, the elections that I'm mentioning that I really, like, really am going to follow because I think it's really interesting. Mm. So the EU parliament is like parliaments in the way that they're elected, but unlike parliaments in other ways. So in a parliamentary system, um, people get elected and then the party with the most um, mm-hmm. seats in chambers will um, form government. And okay. that government is the executive branch. So they propose laws, yep. but they also, like, deal with the running of the country. So they, like, mm-hmm. decide what the army is going to do, and they decide um, how your taxes are going to kind of – they, like, administer the taxes and stuff like that. But with this parliament, there is no executive branch. All right. that the parliament does is um, votes on laws and the budget, and they don't even really get to make laws. Okay. Um, the one really important thing that they do is they elect the president of the European Commission, and the European Commission is the executive branch. So it's a is that harder to get onto? Probably because you okay. have to be elected by these seven hundred and fifty-one people or seven hundred five. Right, right. I'll set um, my sights on the first one then. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so one reason why it would be very easy for Yasmin to join the European <laughs> Parliament is that. Voter turnout is piss poor, is the only way to describe it. Um, right. In 2014, uh, 42.54% of Europe voted. Uh, so only those people who are incredibly motivated voted. Okay. Um, which means a lot of like fringe parties can come into the European Parliament because they can get these votes. Um, an yeah. example of this is Nigel Farage started in the European Parliament. Um, if right. you're not in the known, Nigel Farage is a very right-wing um, mm-hmm. politician in the UK. He, mm-hmm. um, his party is called UKIP. He was one of the big voices in the Leave campaign and um, instigated quite a bit of xenophobia in the Leave campaign. Mm-hmm. Fairly fringe. Um, so yeah, that's the European Parliament. It'll be really interesting. And the reason why you want to look out for it is that um, it's... In a post-Brexit world, the future of the EU is not exactly sure. Yeah, it's unclear. These are some of the people who decide whether it is going to keep going or not and how it's going to function. Mm -hmm. Um, A slight side note, but an important shout-out, is that on the same day as the European (sighs) parliamentary uh, elections, Ireland will be holding a referendum. Ah, uh, um, classic Ireland. We yeah. love referendums. Like, oh, if you think we love potatoes, referendums. Referendum. That's that's our biggest thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this referendum is about um, 
whether or not expats, so people who live outside of Ireland, can vote in presidential elections. So we were just actually talking about this. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll get my parents to vote for me. <laughs> no, I give me rights. Might be able to vote in the ref- I don't know. Oh yeah, actually, I might be able to get back on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and but it's about specifically presidential elections. Yeah, yeah. And there's not another one of those for like seven years. So Yeah. <laughs> but by then you might not be living in Ireland anymore, but you'll be Irish and then you could vote. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll likely, you know, be on some island in the Caribbean by then, like married so. to a billionaire. That's probably mm-hmm. most likely what I'm imagining will go on. Mm-hmm. no actually you know what i'm gonna say no to that because i sunburn too easily um <laughs> but somewhere where i could avoid sunburn you are from canada tell us about your elections this year okay this is maybe potentially why i wanted to talk about 2019 elections um, everything else also, has been a dramatic lead up to this exactly so canada is having an election <laughs> on october 21st um, oh, Halloween-y. Halloween-y. Uh, it's exactly four years after the last election. It could happen sooner. So okay. Trudeau could say, I want to have an election. But Do you think he will? No, everyone's like, we're waiting for October. Unless oh, like, okay. something incredibly dramatic happens that like boosts his ratings like out of the ceiling or whatever. Like, like, what could happen? Like, like if, if he like brokers a deal that like ends tariffs with the u.s what if he, like saved like, a cat in a tree or something like that yeah that you also know, he seems like he's the kind of person who does that anyway like i'm sure if i looked up justin trudeau saving a cat in a tree it would definitely come up oh yeah i like, know he definitely did that for a photo op once definitely oh, yeah i'm a hundred percent sure yeah mm-hmm. So yeah. speaking of Trudeau, he has been in power for, he will be in power for four years in October. He's been in power for about three and a bit years right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has been an interesting three and a bit years. If you want to hear a more in-depth um, analysis of that, you can listen to episode three of this podcast. There's a lot of shout outs to previous episodes. I know, right? I swear you guys were not just shamelessly plugging our own podcast yeah, all swear. the time. We've just been so educational that, like, we have yeah. to use ourselves as a reference all the time. Yeah. Um, so, if you want to hear more about that, you can listen to that. But on December 19th, 2018, a poll came out that said that he's not doing so good in approval ratings. So, he has, Ooh. at in December, had a 35% approval rating and a 58% disapproval oh, rating. Oh, no, that's not good. Um, his approval rating is half what it was in 2015. Wow. Yeah. Um, and there's a few reasons why, um, a big one is pipelines. Um, yeah. Another thing is just like nothing like extraordinary has happened and sometimes that's all that matters. Um, but in the last, since that poll, even more stuff has happened. So if, I don't know if anyone who isn't Canadian knows about this, but Canada is currently in a fight with China, like a pretty big fight with China. Not like a physical Um, fight. Uh, like a, they're put sentencing our citizens to death type of fight with china so that's that's pretty physical you know what that yeah. that's i define that as physical yeah what what so in, for, for what so in early december we arrested the president of huawei huawei the uh big telephone the thing the phone company i think um, that's called huawei i think it's huawei? a lot simpler than we think it is yes. yeah um hmm. Huawei um on and we Ooh, did that they're my wi-fi of, provider so if this if this <laughs> wi-fi is not coming out great I'm blaming Canada yeah huh? um so we arrested her because the U.S. asked us to 
um, which is this Wait, kind of- Wait, was she doing spying on U.S.? Yeah, intellectual yeah. property theft or something? And I think a bit of corruption there, too. Anyways, yeah, I remember we that arrested yeah. her because the U.S. told us to, and this is kind of a common thing um, that happens. Was she uh, in Canada at the time? Yes, she was in, she was in Vancouver. Okay. Um, and China got upset and detained some Canadians, uh, has last week sentenced one a Canadian to death in a retrial of a drug smuggling charge. Um, right. And is like, not, it doesn't make Justin Trudeau look very good. So that's, no. that's a big issue. We'll see how that works out. Um, the other thing, as I mentioned, is pipelines. In yeah. early January, um, the Wet'suwet'en Nation, um, which is a First Nations um, group, had a violent altercation with the RCMP, which is uh, the National Police, um, about a pipeline. The, pipeline. the ones on horses? Yes, that's the RCMP. Um, and First Nations um, issues, divisive issue in Canada, uh, pipelines, divisive issue in Canada, mm-hmm. put those two things together, you have a lot of people very angry at each other. Yeah. Um, and so this is kind of what Trudeau has walked into 2019 with, and we'll see how that goes. Um, the good thing for Trudeau is that his opposition, not so hot, and like it might okay. just be a like best of the, yeah. the phrase. Best of a bad bunch, is that it? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that seems... Um, how, like, do people normally... Okay, so you have four-year terms in Canada, right? Yes. Okay, and I, I, how many terms are you allowed to have? As many as you want. Okay. Because so you're a prime do- minister, you're not a president. Okay, and what do people normally do? Is there um, an average? Or, cause, like, you know, in the US, it's very common that they would do the two terms. Yeah. Um, like as many as you want. Uh, Justin Trudeau's father, Pierre Trudeau, was one of the longest standing prime ministers in Canadian history. He had, I think at the end of it, had 12 years under his belt. It was oh, a four-year yeah. gap, but like... Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it like really just depends on whether your party wants to keep you, if you lose okay. position. Right. Yeah. Okay, so that probably doesn't have a lot, like, that wouldn't no. affect it. A and lot no like, one's, I don't cool. think anyone's like... There's a better alternative to Trudeau right now. Yeah, like, yeah. The Liberal Party. Um, that's yeah. not really a thing. So his opposition are Andrew Scheer and the Conservatives. Um, he's, let's say, not as character or charismatic as uh, Justin Trudeau. Okay, is. but who is Micah? That's a yeah. that's a tough bar. Like um, that's like saying, oh, no one can walk on water as good as Jesus. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, no. Oh, sorry, and- you actually mentioned before that you didn't get Catholic references. I apologize for that one. <laughs> <laughs> I get that one. Yay! Um, so half the polling supports Sheer and half the polling um, says he's double digits behind Justin Trudeau. Oh. So polling, not very reliable. Um, I would say he has a lot of catching up to do. So a year after he was elected leader of the Conservatives, most Canadians didn't know who he was. Um, oh. So that's about two, two and a half years ago, people had no idea who he was. Um, Right. So that that's that's Andrew Scheer. And then we have a three party system in Canada. Um and the other party are the NDP and they're on the mm-hmm. left of the Liberals and their leader is Jagmeet Singh. He's the first um person of color to 
be the head of a national party, which is really awesome. Yeah. Um, he's Sikh. And um, he's actually not a member of parliament. So he's the oh. leader of the party, but he's not in parliament um, because there's been a huge amount of drama because Justin Trudeau, as prime minister, has the right to determine when by-elections happen. And, okay. and that's how you get into parliament. And so he hasn't been holding a by-election mm. in the place that Jagmeet Singh wants to run until mm. a couple weeks ago. And now it's happening. Um, yeah kind of interesting yeah um that would be on the west wing i'm sure it would be um so overall um he hasn't really been seen as a strong leader uh so only five to six percent of canadians said he would be the best leader out of the three of them um yeah he's really interesting he has great ideas um he's just he once um, was asked his policy position and had to ask his aide what the party's policy on that was. Oh. Yeah. Um, but he, like, Dude. the amount of support within his party, within his base in his party. So, yeah. Um, I, overall, I don't think this is going to be a very exciting election in Canada. Um, mostly because, like, in, unless something really drastic happens, I don't see Justin Trudeau losing. Yeah. Um, and, but I think all of this will really depend on um, American politics. Yeah. Oh, yes. So what is going on there? They don't have an election this year, mm-hmm. right? No, but welcome to the perpetual election that is 2020. I know. I feel like I've heard so much about it already. Mm-hmm. Like everyone already seems to be throwing their their hat in the the ring i'm not sure if it normally happens necessarily but like wow every year gets pushed back a little bit so the way if you didn't know the um presidential elections work is that there are the, the two parties the democrats and the republicans and they have to have elections before the election to determine who's going to run for them and these are called the primaries yeah. and each state has their own caucus and then each um, and then delegates from those like mini elections in each state come to the convention in July of 2020 um, and right. vote to who will be the leader. And so this is like a long time from now, but people yeah. are already telling, saying who's going to run, even though the first caucus isn't until February of 2020. I've already seen a fan-made Beto campaign video, like, there was a lot of skateboarding around the mm-hmm. Whataburger car park. Like, that was a lot of video. But, wow, it's January. Um, yeah, so this will be the year of the perpetual, or the two years of the perpetual election. Mm-hmm. Um, and very interesting. Not that much, like, of actual, like, importance will happen because there's no election. Um, and my message here at the end of the politics section is to not let the Democratic primaries that aren't even happening this year distract you from the many other important elections, um, some of which we didn't go into depth, but there's India and Indonesia, and I mentioned Argentina. Um, The Philippines is doing a parliamentary election. If you go onto Wikipedia, there's a handy-dandy list of every single election that's happening. Um, including North Korean parliament is having an election. Wow. This is a big um, year. Yeah. Um, so go forth and vote if you can. And if not, stay informed because the results of these are really going to be important. 
This month, the internet has been gripped by the story of Caroline Calloway and her creativity workshops. But we've long since been obsessed with scams committed by the wealthy, often using social media. So I thought I'd give anyone who isn't caught up a rundown of some of the cases that have caught the world's attention and why we're talking about them. So, Micah, have you heard much about the Caroline Calloway saga, I'm going to call it? I have no idea who Caroline Calloway is. Oh, I'm so excited to tell you. Oh, this is amazing. Okay, so... Caroline Calloway is a now 27-year-old Instagram personality who grew up in Virginia, and she went to a private boarding school in New Hampshire before moving to New York, where she studied at NYU, and then transferred to Cambridge University in England. No biggie. Yeah, obviously extreme money. So she documented this experience on Instagram, writing really, really lengthy captions, of which she claimed she was one of the very first people to do. That, like, yeah, that's an indication of where this is going. That totally romanticized the experience of an American studying in England. So there was a lot of, like, talking about the castles of Cambridge. There was Harry Potter references. There was an emphasis on black tie galas and croquet. And I know that Cambridge is traditional, but this felt a little bummed up. Harry Potter was filmed at Oxford. Yeah, mm. yeah. It, it was just like you know, the, they'd show like a dining hall, and she'd be like, "Oh, this feels like Harry Potter." Fun. Yeah. Anyway, but she didn't post in real time. Like her posts were actually reflecting on things that happened about a year previously. So it was all very curated, and it read like a memoir. And mm-hmm. a lot of it focused on a relationship with a Swedish polo player who she had a meet cute with within 24 hours of breaking up with her previous boyfriend at JFK and arriving in Cambridge. And, like, you know what? The story was genuinely good. And I'm saying this as someone who has mm-hmm. studied writing. I thought her captions were, like, witty, sharp, observant, specific. And I think they likely helped people a lot because she really did nail love and heartbreak and the awkwardness of new beginnings. And she attracted a large enough audience that she secured a book deal worth half a million dollars. Oh. Yeah. However the book never materialized in her own words. I promised a memoir where the only thing that happened to me were boyfriends and where the climax of my entire life experience to date was boy related, boy related. The whole narrative arc. Oh my gosh. Can I speak? The whole narrative arc was about my relationships with three different boys. For the record, no one forced me to write the proposal the way I did. I was simply caught up in my own ambition and I lived in a world where I saw correctly in my opinion, but if I wanted to get the most money possible, this was the book I had to sell, so I sold it. She said, when it became clear to my publishers that I didn't want to write this book, they withdrew from the contract. So this is the first point where I'd like mm-hmm. to stop. And that isn't even why we're talking about her this month. But mm-hmm. I'm very much in two minds about this. So on one hand, like, I do think she's right. I think the boy-related book is the one that would sell. And I do feel it is unfair that there is this pressure specifically on women to take an opportunity that they might not feel comfortable with because they feel it's the only one that they've got. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, she wrote this proposal and she said that she'd written it because it was the one that would get the most money possible. And I mean, you have to question when that's overriding a message that is important, you know? Mm -hmm. And that you want to be spreading. But then 
she withdrew from it. However, her language places the blame on other people. And I think a lack of accountability shows an enormous amount of privilege. What are your thoughts on, on this situation? I just think it's really odd to like go to a publisher and say, this is the book I want to write. And then they Mm -hmm. give you a book deal and you say, no, I don't want to write that book anymore. Mm -hmm. And like blame them for not wanting that the new book like that's not what they agreed to like it's just a contract and like the idea that a book proposal is just like it's just a fun thing that you write and like you don't actually have to do anything about like that's yeah also um when she withdrew from it she said the publishers are being babes for not suing her for the $125,000 that she owed them she apparently had used the money on rent and was just like giving it away to friends so I think like here it is just an enormous amount of privilege that is, mm-hmm. that is on show. Um, but she became one of the most talked about people on the internet this month when journalist Kaylee Donaldson made a Twitter thread about her upcoming tour of creativity workshops. So the creative, the creativity workshops would be four hour events at $165 a ticket. And according to refinery 29 and Kaylee's thread, but refinery 29 had it condensed really nicely. So I'm going to read there, but um, <laughs> it would include a homemade lunch, individualized care packages and letters, homemade orchid crowns and a meet and greet. In addition to Callaway's teaching one by one, these promises fell out the window as Callaway realized just how much she was undertaking. She had apparently not allowed herself enough time between the initial conception of the tour and the actual scheduled ticketed events. She was unable to produce the 50-ish care packages and individualized letters and times. And cooking for that many people in her studio apartment was proving unbearable. Instead, fans were given mason jars with seeds in them, not to eat but to grow, a personalized notebook, and a crystal that turned out to be a rock, according to a review of the event, which we'll link to. So... Future dates would have to settle for carrots and hummus rather than a cooked lunch. The orchid crowns also disappeared when Callaway realized that she instead needed the flower crown fund to pay photographers. Um, and she originally wanted to hire unpaid interns for that role. So, yeah, it quickly became clear that disorganization was a key factor. Um, plus, she hadn't actually booked venues in cities like Boston and Atlanta. Um, in Atlanta, particularly, her event was scheduled for the Super Bowl weekend, and the Super Bowl is in Atlanta. So, I mean, oh. finding a venue. Um, and she also asked fans in Boston and Philly if they'd like to move their event to New York and only gave them the options to vote, this is our spot, or F yes, on her Instagram stories. So... Basically, everyone was aghast on Twitter. Seth mm-hmm. Rogen was even tweeting about it. Um, so she cancelled her tour, and then she uncancelled it. So this story just <laughs> uncancelled the tour about a day later, and she wrote on Instagram. And I'm going to read what she wrote. She wrote, "Am I sacred? Yes, but as Franklin Delano Roosevelt once said." So this <laughs> there's a few key typos there. I'm assuming she meant scared rather than sacred. <laughs> and uh, FDR's middle name was not his wife's name plus a D at the front. Um, and you know what? I understand typos, but like you're a writer. So I think you yeah. need to hold yourself accountable to that. Um, so like one thing that I want to discuss here is that I don't like the idea of the entire internet piling on one woman. And honestly, I don't think that she set out with this with the intention of being a scam and I don't really like calling her a scammer I Mm -hmm. think she's someone who is just 
completely unaware of how much organizing a tour involved and then seemed to think it was okay to break these promises that she'd made with consumers who had paid money for it. Um, and that's a whole other thing I'll get onto in a second. So like I, yeah, the, the, the internet pylon made me quite uncomfortable. Um, However, she dealt with it by saying she was going to rise above it by releasing a line of t-shirts saying, stop hate following me, Kaylee, which is directed <laughs> at the journalist who made the initial Twitter threat. So interesting. And I think one thing I just wanted to touch on is that uncancelling the tour so quickly appears to show a failure to learn from mistakes. So she immediately uncancelled her tour. And although she says she has an events team together and it's going to be so much more well-organized this time, I really can't see how she could have possibly processed and learned from this in 24 hours. I mean, I haven't processed this Mm -hmm. yet. Like, remember, like, all those... I I mean, it reminded me a lot of Lena Dunham. I find that she demonstrates a lack of self-awareness and a tendency to act quickly a lot. Like she often apologizes very quickly for things, but we haven't seen that she's actually educated herself or changed. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm kind of seeing here. And I mean, I think going forward, wouldn't it be fantastic if we could actually take time to listen and learn from things? I don't know. What are you sort of feeling on this, Micah? I know the internet culture is so speedy, but it just seems like this was a little quick. It is a little quick. I don't, I kind of like the internet piling up on her. Mm. Like it's, she's just like, clearly she's like made a dumb mistake. Yeah. I don't think she's a scammer. No. Yeah. And like, if she, like, if all of her fans want to leave her, like they have every single right to. Um, But I don't think she has like, it's, it's not like she did anything like, like Lena Dunham is one thing because Lena Dunham says things that are like very harmful and hurtful mm-hmm. and then never learns from that. This girl's just like making horrible business decisions. Yeah, but I mean, like even, I, I just don't think you can sell tickets for things and not deliver on them. I mean, oh, I yeah, think it, yeah, that's awful. Yeah, and I really hope in the future that she does learn that you can't just promise things. You have to research and look into things. I will get onto that in a moment, but mm-hmm. I don't think that um like you remember that Anna Delvey story that was going around last year about the fake European heiress who was scamming her way into like the New York high life I don't think this was intentional like that like I Mm-mm. I just don't believe I don't think she's a scammer yeah so Caroline also made a banner about fire festival <laughs> which is another story that has recaptivated the world this month due to the Netflix and Hulu documentaries that have just come out so mm-hmm. do you know about the fire festival yes I okay. was in the loop for this yeah, so this one, um, to take off Wikipedia, um, just because they give a really nice, concise overview of it. Fire Festival was a music festival scheduled to take place on the Bahamian island of Great Exuma over two weekends in April and May 2017. It was organized by Fire Media founder Billy McFarland and rapper Jerul as a luxury music festival to promote the Fire Music Booking app. And the event was promoted on Instagram by social media influencers, including uh, Kendall Jenner, Bella Hadid, Emily Ratajkowski, and other media personalities. 
During the fire Festival's inaugural weekend, the event experienced problems related to security, food, accommodation, artist relations. Eventually, the festival was cancelled after some attendees had arrived, finding tents and prepackaged sandwiches instead of luxury villas <laughs> and gourmet meals that they had been promised when they paid thousands of dollars for their tickets. So as a result, the organizers are the subject of eight lawsuits, one seeking more than $100 million in damages, and very recently, McFarlane was sentenced to six years in prison um, for wire fraud. So this story is just disgusting for so many reasons. So we have in the Netflix documentary of I've seen, the treatment of the models. I mean, there was a moment where Jerul was yelling at the models to get in the, the ocean, even though they were visibly uncomfortable about it. And it made me quite uncomfortable to watch it. There mm-hmm. was the would-be sexual exploitation of one of the organizers by McFarland. Um, this is called the Evian incident. And mm-hmm. I recommend you watch the documentary because I don't know anyone who saw this bit and his jaw was not on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the lies about owning an island. They said in their promotional video that they owned this island and it had belonged to Pablo Escobar and the owner of the island who owned the island for one, not these guys had specifically said, you can't advertise that. So they get kicked off the island and then we're holding it on an island that was not the one that was advertised. Um, there was the re- selling ridiculously expensive tent packages without testing out what the tents would be like on an island with little infrastructure and they ended up using leftover hurricane tents from Hurricane Matthew. Hmm. And yes, perhaps worst of all, the Bahamian workers left without $250,000 of payment, with one woman having to use $50,000 of her own savings to pay the workers. And there are now like GoFundMes for her, which is absolutely lovely. But it's so annoying because the responsibility shouldn't fall on the, the shoulders of the general public, but mm-hmm. on that duty frat bro who was still scamming people while he was out on bail he'd started a new scam so his is very intentional you know and i think Mm -hmm. the connection i can see because people are calling the whole caroline calloway thing the fire festival 2.0 i think that in both of them we see this complete delusion of the very wealthy so in both cases they thought they could throw an event without any proper planning i think Mm -hmm. they just didn't realize how much went into actual work and like it's amazing what confidence money can give you also like the anna delvey story neither of them were expected because i'm sure of their wealth and profile to show any receipts so Mm -hmm. they were able to go along for so long without having any concrete things to back them up um another thing i just wanted to touch on was the impact of social media on this so obviously this has been usually important for both of them. And like, I'm not here to debate whether social media fame is valid or pick out the problems with influencers because, oh my God, I've been in Facebook groups that are like literally dedicated to this and it's like truly exhausting. But yeah, yeah, I just wanted to share some advice on how to manage your relationships with social media. So Kate Hurley, who is ironically an Instagram influencer, (laughs) told well and good, pay attention to the energy that comes through their work. Does it seem fake? Does it make you feel shitty? Does this person you're following make you feel like they are great, but they don't make you feel good about yourself? Ask yourself questions and take the time to really listen to your own answers. And as the author of the article said, you need to go like Marie Kondo on this. Like, are they sparking joy? Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about all this, Micah, having having learned about the, the craziness? I guess the, like, big difference in my mind between the two events is that, um, Caroline? Yes. (laughs) Um, see, clearly don't know what this is about. Was scamming, like, 
people who not scamming. I don't think she was scamming. She She was made a bad decision. She was cheating out people who in all likelihood spent money that they like needed on that. Like, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like a drop in the bucket of like, this is like all my wealth and I'm going to go on this Instagram store. It was like, this is my treat for the month or this is like, this is what I'm going to splurge on. This is my Christmas present. But like the fire festival, it was a bunch of rich people who like had so much money they didn't know what to do with it, so decided to go an island in the middle of the Bahamas. Yeah, and I think that if is you get parted different. with your money, then like you poor thing. Yeah, I'm Caroline has refunded everyone and said that those mm-hmm. who are happy with their experience can pay her what they think it was worth. So I think that was really That's great. That's good. But yeah, it is really difficult to. Like, and a lot of people have said this, feel sorry for someone who spent a quarter of a million dollars on a festival um, or who was like, never feel sorry for Kylie Jenner losing. I I won't feel sorry for Kylie Jenner if she loses a million dollars. She has a billion. Yeah. And I think the other thing was that a lot of these people were influencers. They were like not even paying to go to it. So, you know, that there's definitely a key difference there. Another one I would say would be that Caroline Calloway seemed to be a couple days that just kind of got away from her whereas the other one was just so much more of a professional endeavor that like oh yeah should have been expected more the other thing that caroline calloway has said is that it isn't unusual for influencers to charge a fee for a meet and greet with their fans and that is essentially what her workshops were she advertised them as a lot more and i think that was her mistake advertising on things that she hadn't thought through and couldn't deliver but paying for a meet and greet isn't unusual and i don't Mm -mm. think that there's um, really a problem in that so I think she can probably come back from this I think she can um, you know I think it does show an enormous privilege that you can just jump into something like this without having giving it proper consideration but I think that hopefully she can come back from this and give real value to people who have followed her for a long time and probably have got real value from her the fire thing, on the other hand, is just horrible. Like, it oh, yeah. really is, I mean, inexcusable what happened there. And as I said, the people who are really suffering um, are not the rich kids who missed out on a fun weekend, but the workers in the Bahamas who missed out on their wages. So yeah. it is – stop scamming people, y'all. I think that's my <laughs> message from this. But definitely my message would be to reexamine your connection with social media because we do let social media influences into our lives a lot more than we would the traditional celebrities. And I think oh, yeah. it's important to examine our connection with those and our expectations and how much people are putting things like their money and effort into them. Mm-hmm. Well, that is it for another month of Different Things Can Be Sad. What are you going to be getting up to over the next few weeks, Micah? Um, I will be doing more school. I will oh, be going fun. to Mexico before we record this next ah, episode. I'm so jealous. I'm so excited. Oh, uh, amazing. It's going to be great. Um, yeah, that's about it. What about you? What about me? I'm starting my, my new job, which is exciting. Um, immediately after we are finishing recording this, I am going to watch the Patriots game uh, versus the Kansas City Chiefs. So hopefully by next episode, I'm happy, not just because we won this game, but because we've won the Super Bowl. Um, 
or within a couple hours of me saying this, this could all go very downhill and I could be very sad. Um, so who knows kids, you'll have to tune in next time to find out, or you can check up on us on our social pipes. Our Instagram account is at the DTCBS podcast. There'll definitely be a meme this Super Bowl. There always is a Super Bowl meme and we will definitely be posting it. Mm -hmm. So tune in there. Where can we find you on the World Wide Web, Micah? Uh, you can find me at, at Miss Clearwater on Instagram. And still haven't decided about Twitter yet. Oh, girl, girl. Um, I'm also on the Twitter and the Instagram. And I am at Yasmin Lomax. So catch us there and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.